Welcome, one and all, to a very special Friday Meme Wars with a very special guest, the one and the only Eric Brakey, as my phone rings. That's great. I thought the ring was off. Perfect timing. Awesome timing for that. Yes, the one and the only Eric Brakey is back on Lions of Liberty. Of course, Eric is a former senator in Maine, the state senator in Maine, and the current director of the Free State Project. Good to executive, have you back, man. Executive, executive director. director. Come on, executive. Brian. I don't want to. That's true. I could cost you a couple thousand in, in pay compensation by mislabeling you. I don't want to misgender your role with the Free State Project. But welcome, man. Good to see you. It is good to see you. It has been a long time. You know, as your cricket phone goes off, I'm reminded that I didn't put mine on do not disturb. So I'm like fumbling over here. It's like, uh. (laughs) I I always have my phone on vibrate too. Always. I must have literally accidentally held down the button in in my pocket or something like that to turn on because I never have it on because I can't stand the ringing of phones and it's always spam. Hey, Siri, turn on do not disturb. You'll hear my Siri doing this. Oh, what a All right, now we're good. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> I never use Siri. I have an iPhone. I've had one for like four years. I've never used Siri for for anything. So well, well, now we will not be disturbed. It's just you and and the, the you, me, the three of us uh, right. for the next however long. But yeah, no, I'm excited uh, to be joining you. It has been a long time. Uh, I, as you mentioned, I've I've just recently joined. Uh, in December of last year, joined the Free State Project as the new executive director. I am um, kind of in transition right now, though. I'm getting to know a lot of folks in New Hampshire and all the systems over there. As I still, I'm, <laughs> I still have some time left on my Senate term in the main Senate, where I'm serving my third term. Oh, so okay. I gotta, I gotta keep my promise to my constituents uh, and and see that through. But then, okay. So um, I, I didn't. I, so are you then? Are you not going to seek reelection after this? Or are you just going to be? done with yeah. the politics for that, at least in that respect? Yeah. As far as I know, this is my last term. I, I could have run for reelection. I could have, uh, you know, um, since technically, you know, we have in Maine, we've got term limits, but it's about consecutive terms, right? If you take mm-hmm. time off, it all resets. So this is my third term, but it's my first term back. Cause I, I left for a while. I ran for the U S Senate. I ran for Congress. I went to young Americans for Liberty. I worked with them down there in Austin, Texas. And mm-hmm. I came back and reclaimed my seat from uh, from the Democrats, and um, the return but, of the know, king. What's that? <laughs> the return of the king. <laughs> you know, I did have a little bit. Uh, maybe this is a little egotistical, but I did have after I lost my congressional primary, I did have a little sense of like, you know, like when Hamlet leaves Denmark and he goes away and he like gets his st- he gets his stuff together and then he comes back with steeled resolve. It's like, oh, all right, right, I'm going to do what needs to be done. Um, you know. I feel like I've I've done the best I can to do what needs to be done, but I've been at this for 12 years now and I don't think we're supposed to do this forever. So we should always be, you know, if you get into electoral politics, you should always be identifying and training up people to replace you. And I feel like I've done a pretty good job of that. There's a lot of new Liberty legislators in Maine uh, in the house of representatives in particular, who I've had a hand in helping to train and, teach uh teach the ways of the force too uh so uh, now they're ready to take on the dark side in maine and i'll go um fight for uh fight for this new jedi order in new hampshire yeah i would say so what was the genesis of you taking on this role did they approach you did you approach them and say look i, I want to work with you guys how did that come about um you know i uh they didn't approach me uh actually someone sent it to me who uh, it's just a friend who's familiar with the free state movement and saw a posting for the position on one of their social media 
platforms and they said, you know, this would be, you're just like the perfect person for this job, Eric, you should apply for this. And I thought there is no way in the world um, I'm going to step away from main politics where I've dedicated the last 12 years of my life to. And um, I, I, you know, but I, I stood on it for about a, you know, for a few months, um, had a few more people encourage me. And ultimately I, I decided you know, it would be nice to take a break from politics in the traditional sense that I've been doing it. Um, you know, it, if you're someone who loves liberty and you're in this for too long, it does start to eat away at your soul. Yeah, And also get in the way of other life goals like family and other things. So this is a, a great way to for me to r- really to play a new role in the movement. Um, and um, And so I applied for it went through a series of interviews, had some great conversations with things that I thought we could do. Um, and I, I'm very grateful they offered me the job and they also allowed me the opportunity to, you know, finish out my term, do this kind of part-time while legislature's in session. And I'm kind of having a little bit of a, a long runway to transition into the role. That's awesome. So before we get into talking about your, your new role, to go back to, you know, your time as a state senator in Maine, when you look at you know, that period of time serving as you came in as a Ron Paul Republican, right? Yeah. So it was what 2000, was that 2010 when you first came in or? No, um, uh, 2014 is when I won. Oh, yeah, race, were, right. I was part right. of the, I was part of the second wave of the Ron Paul movement. You were right? one I of mean, the slower kids. Yeah. It took <laughs> you a little bit longer. Yeah, we, yeah. we call those short bus Ron Paul uh, Republicans. But anyway, I, I was still listening to what Bill O'Reilly told me to do. I, I, it took me a while to break free of that matrix. <laughs> Nothing against you for that. But during that time that you served in the, uh, you know, the main Senate, what was your, you know, one accomplishment, one thing that you, you know, put your stamp on, you can look back on and be like, damn, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of myself for doing that. Well, there are many things I could pick from, but I think one of the things that's had the most national implications across the country is, you know, Maine, we were one of the first states to pass constitutional carry. And I spearheaded that effort during my first term, got it passed in 2015. Um, and we are to date, we were the sixth state to pass it. We're, we n- now I think Louisiana just passed it. They're like state number 28. Um, so it's really grown by leaps and bounds since then. But we remain the only state to ever pass it through a Democrat controlled legislature. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and after Maine, it really was like a domino effect across the country. So I feel like uh, not only did we win the, you know, the right to keep and bear arms, you know, f- for those who aren't familiar with constitutional carry, you know, you can carry you can carry a handgun open or concealed without a permission slip from the government. So long as you're someone who is legally able to own a firearm. Um, and, uh, they told us it was crazy and extreme and we'd become the wild, wild West. And we actually became the safest state in America. And I think you see this pattern in many States that have passed constitutional carries is actually, mm-hmm. you know, the law, uh, those who would use firearms to, commit crimes against people tend to not make sure they have proper paperwork first. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's only law abiding people who are left defenseless by these laws. So, um, and restrictions. So I'm proud of that. I really feel like, um, you kind of see that if, if you ever look at those kind of those, um, uh, they'll have like the time-lapse maps of the, of constitutional carry spreading across the country. I'm always particularly proud because I feel like Maine was one of the most important early dominoes in making that happen. I mean, it's a little bit disappointing that there's no Thunderdome-esque, 
you know, developments after constitutional carry is passed. Because just one time, I'd like to be able to go in, you know, shoot the guns in the air, grab chainsaws <laughs> off of uh, a giant metal cage. But still, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it always is amazing that they never seem to equate when you see the results of these things pass, you know, the good effects. The Democrats can never and will never concede that any gun legislation that goes the opposite of, of lockdown gun control, you know, take away your guns, they can never acknowledge any benefit. And they'll always manipulate the living hell out of stats in order to make it look like they're still correct. It just drives me insane. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, and there's so many stats that they that they are always ignoring and, and we're never even allowed to bring up. So like I, mm. you know, we, 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 sadly in Maine, we recently dealt with a very tragic uh, mass shooting that took place in Lewiston and got national attention. That's just kind of right across the river from where I am right now. Mm. Uh, our communities are still kind of really grappling with that. And that was um, uh, an individual who had some mental health issues and was hearing voices and, um, and, and, and hurt a lot of people and, and killed a lot of people. Um, and, you know, now we're seeing an onslaught of of anti-gun proposals coming forward in the legislature, like you'd expect. Many of them are coming through the uh, going to come through the committee, the Judiciary Committee that I serve on. So I'm going to be dealing um, with them very intimately. But um, what's amazing is these proposals never actually deal with the facts on the ground of the re- of right. the situations that they're supposedly responding to. Right. So we're hearing a proposal for 72 hour waiting periods to purchase a firearm, like. The guy who committed this terrible act, like he didn't get a fire. He did the firearm he used wasn't something he acquired within like the 72 hours beforehand. So why is this yeah. being used as the justification there? And why is it certain things that actually could make a difference? Like for a fact, an acknowledgement that 92% of mass shootings in this country take place in gun free zones. Why is that a fact that we're never allowed to grapple with? Why are we never allowed to look at, uh, you know, liability laws around, about around um, uh, establishments that that have gun free zones and leave people defenseless and don't provide adequate security if when something like this happens. So it's yeah, it's always very lopsided kind of what we're allowed to um, explore in this debate. Um, mm. They want and they want to always say that our, our answer to these sorts of things is to sit around and do nothing. But uh, I think the answer is let's look at all these these gun control restrictions that make it very difficult for people to be prepared. Well, it's always with the gun debate too. You know, you look at how many times, like you said, mentally disturbed individuals, what drugs have they been prescribed? What drugs are they on? And also it's, I I talked about this on my show a few times is it, for me, it's also, you look at the context in history. Yeah. When we had far less gun restrictions than we do in the now on a state to state basis, you didn't have mass shootings. You had far higher gun ownership, by the way, per household. We have more guns in America now than we did in the 1940s, 50s. But yeah the gun ownership per household was way higher. And yet you didn't have these type of incidents. And it's also for me, you know, they want to blame the guns, but it's also the culture. You know, it's, it's a culture of the involvement of social media, of isolation yeah. of the psychotropic drugs that are people on, you know, it's like all of these different things are playing a part in yeah. what's creating the problem and how it's a very, it's a problem of the moment. You know, it's a problem of a very recent period of history and people want to ignore that. And it seems completely insane to me that you're just going to say, well, it's clearly more guns, more household, you know, less household guns, but the people getting the guns are crazy. And we somehow have lowered the restrictions when the exact opposite is true in every shape and form. And yet it's happening now. So 
I don't know how to fix it exactly. Um, better parenting, better, uh, you know, less social media, less drugs, but it certainly is concerning. And to your point, uh, I'd rather have more guns in more people's hands that can stop these incidents from happening rather than have people that, as you said, aren't going to have the permits in general uh, be able to go on rampages. So, yeah. It, speaking of, uh, you know, the psychotropic drugs, which is never talked about. And we were up at Porkfest last year, you know, speaking of New Hampshire. Um, Hope you're coming we back. Saw yeah, we will be back for Maybe. sure. All right. We'll see. I'm not sure if I'll <laughs> yeah, be able we'll be. to, but we'll see. We'll see if I, if I can make it happen. Um, if you can get us on the main stage, Eric, on Saturday night, I will definitely be back. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. We want a slot. <laughs> uh, so we, we were there last year for RFK when he was doing his his speech. And you yeah. know, a lot of libertarians had a problem with him you know, locking down and not allowing firearms within the building, which I said at the time, if anyone... I'll give a pass to for that. It's it's a Kennedy because of all the, uh, you know, obviously his yeah. father and uncle um, being uh, being assassinated. But he talked about getting back to psych- psychotropic drugs. Um, how, you know, all of this data, the FDA, these government agencies says that have access to what these shooters you know, had in their system. They could run reports anonymously and correlate the data and, and show us if it's actually causing it. They won't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it's certainly it's certainly a question that um, that needs to be explored a lot more than it is, and it's certainly it's a it's a it's a it's a multifactored you know problem. Um, you know, there's a million things we could point to. You know, the 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 the, uh, the psychotropic drugs, mental illness itself. I think there's something to be said about just the advent of mass media and mm-hmm. kind of the. Uh, I think you could probably find a pretty strong correlation between the rise of mass media and the rise of mass shootings, because now suddenly someone does something like this and um, and they're instantly infamous and they will be remembered for all time. And there's a certain uh, for certain people who are um, for certain people, that kind of notoriety is is um, is is something. And Mm -hmm. um, um and then, you know, in the school settings, I often wonder, like, you know, we never we never talk about the uh, the structure of these these institutions of of, of uh, institutional schooling itself. You know, mm-hmm. when um, kids are being, I don't know, locked into <laughs> facilities that can feel like, you know, prisons for uh, for eight hours, you know, for eight hours a day. And um, I think there's a lot of questions to ask all around um, around, uh, around these things. But, but ultimately, while we try to solve these big questions about like these, these outside in questions, like what are the, what are the external factors that lead someone to snap like this and to try to commit mass harm against people? And this is, you know, this happens to some degree. I mean, all around the world, right. You know, you've got suicide bombing in the Middle East. You've got people driving vehicles into crowds and in, in parts of Europe, you've got, you know, mass stabbings in Japan and, and and in the United Kingdom, right. You know, people fix, uh, fixate so much on the tool that's used, but, and they say, you know, America's unique because of shootings. But if you actually look at these mass violence episodes, we're not so unique in the grand scheme of things, but there are so many things we can try to do to, uh, address the external factors that contribute to this, but ultimately at the end of the day, I mean, we should look at those things where we can, but we're never going to build a foolproof system. We're never going to be able to stop a hundred percent of these things from happening. If we're just trying to, uh, be preventative and stopping any single person who, from who wants to do this from doing it, we have to be able to be prepared for those, for those terrible things. We have to be able to defend ourselves 
for uh, in the event of a crisis. Mm -hmm. And that's where these gun control policies are so backwards, right? They are literally turning us into unarmed victims so that we can't be prepared. We can't defend our families. We can't defend our communities in the event that something like this happens. And of course, you know, when we look at kind of the uh, mass shooting statistics in this country, of course, we can count up the mass shootings, but what they don't count is the mass shootings that didn't happen because right. like you had the situation, I don't remember where it was, what state it was in a few years back, but like there was a someone who tried to commit a mass shooting in a mall, which was a gun-free zone, but thankfully there was a, a citizen who was otherwise a, a law-abiding citizen, but I guess was violating the policy of this mall because they were carrying a firearm and they stopped the guy. They put it down. They stopped it from becoming a mass shooting. And so... Um, and so none of those people became statistics for us mm -hmm. to count. Yeah, exactly, man. All right. Well, let's, let's transfer on to what you're doing currently. Cause I want to know, you know, what's, what's in state, you know, what you're, what you're thinking for the free state project, you know, what's the, what's the first fight you're, you're going after. I want to hear all about it, you know, get lay it on us, man. Well, you know, as far as Paul, the political stuff in New Hampshire goes, I'm really excited about the passage of defend the guard in the New Hampshire house mm. of representatives. Have you, have you been following this? Oh yeah. Yeah. I love defend the guard. And I know the libertarian party uh, nationally has been trying to support that and get the word out to help, you know, state by state as well. But yeah, please tell the audience in case they're not familiar. Yeah. So defend the guard is basically, look, we've been trying for decades since, you know, the advent of the war on terror to like get the Congress to follow the, the constitution and to actually declare the wars and to take accountability for sending our troops into harm's way. And we've been begging Congress. I mean, this has been the strategy for so long. Let's, let's lobby and beg and petition Congress to do their jobs. And it's been a failing strategy. They're not going to do it. They like the situation as it is. They mm -hmm. get all the money coming in from military industrial complex donors to their campaigns by letting the wars keep going. And because they never have to vote on it, they never can be held accountable for authorizing these wars back home by their constituents. So they, they, they love not having any accountability here. And so defend the guard is a brilliant approach. It is recognizing in the U S constitution, the federal government can only mobilize the militia, the national guard of the various 50 States under three circumstances to suppress insurrection, repel invasion, or enforce the laws of the union. And so you look at, Let's take Syria, for example, right? We have, we've had troops in Syria for a decade now since Obama put them in in 2014 after he initially went to Congress to ask for approval and there was such popular outcry against it that Congress said, we're not touching this, right? Mm -hmm. So he put troops in anyway. Our National Guard troops in Syria and in, in Middle Eastern countries uh, across the whole region account for about 50% of troops on the ground. But you look at Syria, right? Are we suppressing an insurrection? No, the mission there was literally to foment an insurrection for the purpose of regime change against the Assad mm -hmm. government. Are we repelling an invasion? Well, there's an invasion that happened, but we're not the ones repelling it. We're kind of right. the ones doing it, right? So is it to enforce the laws of the union? What law is there? There's no declaration of war. There isn't an even an AUMF. They can point to the uh, the 2001 AUMF after the 9-11 attacks, which was passed to go after Al-Qaeda. But like in Syria, our, the mission was literally to give weapons and arms to Al-Qaeda, right? So there's no legal justification for calling up the, the, the main National Guard, the New Hampshire National Guard, the California National Guard, the, the, the National Guard of the many states, and sending them into these, into these 
into these wars. There's no legal justification for it, but who's going to stop it? Who's going to stand up to them? Well, the states have the authority. The states have the authority to say, no, we do not authorize our National Guardsmen to be deployed into these wars unless Congress does their job and declares it. And so that's what Defend the Guard does. Now, I was the sponsor of Defend the Guard in the Maine State Senate this past year. Um, I'm glad, uh, you know, it got, it was a high watermark in the Maine State Senate. It got more votes than it ever did before. It got one vote out of 35. <laughs> that was the Maine State Senate. <laughs> a high watermark. It never even yeah. got a roll call before. Set the fireworks off. <laughs> in, the, uh, in the House of Representatives, though, in Maine, we got about a third to vote for it. But in New Hampshire, it just passed the New Hampshire House of Representatives. It's going on to the Senate. That's um, awesome. And uh, and of course, it's also making progress in states like Idaho and Arizona. There's some real momentum growing there. But this is this is this. It, it has gotten so far in New Hampshire because of the free state movement. The fact that we have been concentrating libertarians in this one state, and many are getting involved politically. Many have run for the state legislature, and others are just involved in contacting their legislators and telling them what to do. Um, but uh, but the military industrial complex is getting very nervous. They're mobilizing a lot of four star generals to go state by state and lobby against this because hmm. it would absolutely uh, cripple their ability to fight wars that are not declared by Congress. Of course, all they need I to do is go to Congress and get them to vote on it. But they don't want right. to. Well, naturally, I, I would be fascinated to hear the pitch, the military industrial complex four star general pitch against defend the guard because it just fundamentally makes so much sense. But I mean, to try to pitch constituents, try to, I mean, yeah, I guess if you're pitching the, <laughs> the state senators, I mean, what it's would money. be the quid pro quo there? Yeah. Just, just funding for their campaigns. Cause I mean, the government can't do that though. So how would that work out? No, it, it, the, the argument is if states were to withdraw their consent for our national guardsmen to be deployed into these wars, that the federal government would stop sending money to fund the state. Oh, national okay. Guard, right. That's the argument. Legally, they're actually, I think they're on pretty dubious ground. There's actually a lot of protections in place there. And really, is a president of the United States going to say, going to go to, uh, I don't know, the state of New Hampshire and say, I'm cutting your National Guard funds because I'm too lazy to go to Congress and right. get them to vote on the war? Are they really going to do that? I think that'd be pretty bad politics. Um, yeah. But but that's but that's the, that's the argument. And I will say, beyond that, look, I... Um, I always think about my uh, good friend of mine who who passed away recently, Sergeant Aaron Rollins. He was a big champion for Defend the Garden, Maine. He was a veteran of the Iraq War, combat vet. He um, was a member of the Maine Army National Guard, and um, and uh, he uh, he lost two friends over there uh, on a roadside roadside bomb country they never should have been in. Mm. We regularly talk about nobody knew why we were over there, what the mission was, or any of that. And I just remember him coming out of the public hearing on this bill when it was in committee. And I was just talking about money and what if the federal, if we lose federal funds or this or that. And I just remember him turning to me and saying, I wish they would tell that to my friend's mom. Look her in the face and say, mm -hmm. your son's death was worth it because we got a couple million dollars out of the deal. Like money? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Are you going to tell a pro-life person that like abortion's okay if the federal government were to give you the state a couple million dollars, like for every baby that's killed. It's like, no, there's something of higher purpose at stake here of higher value. This isn't a question of money. This is a moral question. Yeah. Right. Yeah, man. I mean, it, so that movement, I think, as you said, it seems to be gaining a lot of steam and, and you know, again, from the perspective, you take the money out for these senators from a public perspective, it seems to make 
absolute sense. And I think that people in general, I don't know if you're, you have the same feeling. I think between the Ukraine war, I think between what's going on with all, you know, the presence of the military throughout the, you know, just the wider breadth of the globe. I think Americans are starting to wake up and are starting to get yeah. fed up with the deployments, with the, the never ending war state. I think, you know, it's hard to get past that point with a lot of the public because they just don't pay attention to things. But I think the Ukraine wars put such a spotlight on it that it's helping to push things like Defend the Guard further because you're just seeing there's no reason for us to be involved, to spend money here. There's no reason for our troops to be deployed in Syria, as you're saying, to die over there for no good reason. And I think this is also becoming obvious when you see the military's difficulties in recruiting. Right. I mean, they're they're desperate. I don't know if you saw this recent <laughs> this recent ad they put out. It was a cartoon, basically, story of this girl who had, of course, you know, lesbian parents, because you know, as you do. Um, and she so that's was like a half the country, girl. lesbian parents. Les- so you lesbian put that parents, in an ad. Sorority yeah. girls with lesbian parents. <laughs> so, and you know, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with lesbian parents, but it just was so cliche, check the boxes. And they're trying, I mean, this ad was saying it's what targeted towards sorority girls coming out of college, you know, woke leftist sorority girls. But that tells you how desperate they are to recruit. And it's because people are wising up to how ridiculous it is. And you're going to see that not into the army recruitment, but into signing up for the National Guard. Because if you know you sign up for your National Guard, you can be shipped across the world for a war or a, a cause that makes no impact on your lives or your family's lives. Yeah. Why would you even take the risk? And defend the Guard can protect that. I mean, it's, it's just too much sense. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it is very interesting to observe over the last uh, decade or so this uh, this pink washing right of the mm-hmm. of the military industrial complex mm-hmm. right is that um, it used to be right you know the the left was very adamantly against the war in Iraq and and uh, and highly skeptical of these intelligence agencies like the CIA and and, and all of these groups and um, and so their response was to do like start doing advertising campaigns. Like, look, hey, we're hiring like LGBTQ trans people of color. Like, hey, you know, they're <laughs> going to be the ones pressing the button to murder people but. in the Middle East. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it, well, look at how inclusive we are in our mass murder campaigns. Yep. Wow, you we know. have rainbow yeah. stickers on our bombers now. Come on. <laughs> but like, don't worry. We're still we're not getting diverse in who we're bombing. It's still brown people, guys. Don't get too concerned. <laughs> Well, I don't know. They're starting to I mean, want to bomb a lot of people in Russia now. That's too, true. So. That's true. So I like, know they were just talking about deploying NATO troops there, which yeah. isn't going to happen. That's World War Three. I don't think it's going to happen. But. I don't know. You wonder sometimes if these folks are crazy enough. I mean, yeah. maybe they're just seeing the dollar signs of World War Three. I don't know if we can all avoid nuclear annihilation. I mean, I I guess they're you're, it's going to be kind of hard to enjoy their war profits when we're all um, um, yeah, hiding so. under nuclear bunkers. But yeah, um, exactly. But but yeah, it, it is it is deeply cynical. Um, I I think the way they've tried to pinkwash these things, and sadly, it, it's sad to watch so many friends on the left um, who used to shout at me when I was an ignorant neoconservative, you know, dancing to George W. Bush's uh, propaganda about the war in Iraq, you know, when they were telling me how wrong I was and how stupid I was, only to wake up and realizing like they were right. And to want to go to them and say they were right. I'm finally with you. I'm finally against the wars. And they're like, well, actually, we're for the war now because, <laughs> you know, it's like what happened? Up is down. Yeah. Cats and dogs are lying down with each other. Everything's yep. screwed up. Mass yeah, hysteria. So, so turning turning to pivot away from from war here to uh, a topic near and dear. I know to Brian's heart. Um, libertarian infighting. Oh, I love uh, it. It's so moving into your uh, into your new role here, uh, Eric, um, 
executive director um, of the Free State Project in New Hampshire. You're going to be dealing with a lot, a di- diverse group of, uh, of libertarians, of course. Birdie and porcupines. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what, what's the way to, what's the way to unite libertarians to really, you know, start to get things done to, you know, from an activist standpoint, from a political standpoint, um, do you have some sort of, you know, hierarchy, some, uh, some, some game plan in order to do that? Well, I, I guess I'll say first, you know, I think it's important to understand the role of the free state project as an organization, which, you know, we're five one C three organization, we're not doing the direct political work, but there's other great groups like the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance and and people who are doing kind of their own their own things. Our mission is to get people to move here, mm-hmm. right? To to mm-hmm. recruit libertarians from around the country because there is that diaspora of millions of people who uh, were libertarians scattered around. We are easily ignored, easily disregarded when it comes to both politics and culture because um, – There might be millions of us, but we're in a country of over 300 million people, right? And if we can get people to concentrate in one state, like like New Hampshire, a state with a libertarian ethic already, the live free or die state, you know, we're helping to enhance the best parts of New Hampshire, um, then we can really create a liberty homeland where we can start to do very interesting things. Uh, from the policy end, I mean, like defend the guard, we're passing school choice, We, we are uniting around these these very core, you know, these core issues. Um, and that's all well and good, but even better, better than that, like we are building community, right? New Hampshire, when you get so many Liberty libertarians in one place, we are, there are communities for every single thing you could possibly think of. And not, it's not just people sitting around talking about Murray Rothbard. It's people who like Murray Rothbard who are starting a knitting club, <laughs> you know, or, 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 or way doing... to sell me on it. Wow. <laughs> Pulling the knitting. Club. How did you know? <laughs> or whatever. You, I don't know. Knitting, knitting portraits of Murray Rothbard. Oh, I can only you know, or, uh, or, or homesteading or farming or, uh, or gaming or whatever your thing is. Like when you, when you, when you get so many people together in one place, there's many different visions, people who start their own things, and we, we have a truly bottom-up community. So as far as like uniting people, I don't know that my goal is necessarily to unite people, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think the beauty of our, of our movement is the decentralization of it all. And mm-hmm. that um, I think that if you have an idea on how you want to promote liberty, go do that. If it works, people will follow you. And uh, and if you don't like what someone else is doing, you can sit on Twitter and you can like criticize. And a lot of people enjoy doing that. I suppose that's how you want to spend your time. I'd rather be doing something. Um, but but I mean that's that's the that's the beauty of what's taking place in New Hampshire. When I started on with the Free State Project and I came in in December, I kind of spent a whole month there, and it was just amazing. It was like. The you know the Ron Paul campaign ended in 2012, right? Except they never got the memo in New Hampshire, right? Mm-hmm. It just kept going, and it's like every single day there is a meetup, there is a group. You can learn, go meet with cryptocurrency folks. You can go meet with homesteading folks. You can go to that knitting group or what, what whatever your thing is. Uh, that's the beauty of of a real organic bottom up liberty community. So. Uh, we'll unite on big things. I think people are pretty united when it comes to like ending the wars and ending the Federal Reserve. And 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 that's why something like Defend the Guard is such a great thing to rally folks around to really make a difference. But, you know, 
we are a very diverse community with many different ideas. And I think the beauty is, you know, let men, let a thousand flowers bloom. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, because I was curious to see, especially with what's been going on, you know, during COVID with uh, people getting locked down, people, you know, getting sick of taxation going through the roof. What, where, when you came in, where was the status of the Free State Project? Had you seen a big surge coming in? Was there, you know, like, I'm curious where the project's at, you know, is it still something you say, well, you know, we're, we're, we've maintained or has there been a big influx or the opposite? Has there, has there been, you know, kind of a, yeah. a, a decrease? I'm curious to a see deflux, where it's at. I believe. Yeah. A deflux. Yes. Thank you. Well, COVID was a big time for the Free State Project because it was a time that a lot of people really realized, um, what a difference in their quality of life it makes based on what state they're in and the mm -hmm. communities that they're surrounded by, right? If you are living in one of the authoritarian 49 and the community that you're in is a bunch of people who um, are all locked in their homes and, and I look at you like you're like a, you know, a, a vampire, like, you know, coming in, you know, in, encountering a cross, like when you just like try to like come and spend time with them or like, and you're not wearing a mask I, or something. I literally just today, I just have to tell you this. In, I live in Los Angeles. My there was a woman jogging in a mask today when I came, came home to my house and drove by a woman today sitting in her car, mask around her chin as she smoked a cigarette with the window open. So that's as stupid as you can get. And that's what we're dealing with here. So just, yeah, yeah COVID, yeah. You know, leaving, leaving this is tempting. <laughs> right. So we saw a big influx during COVID uh, in New Hampshire. And, and over the course of the project, which has been in place for about uh, 20 years, we've documented about 7,000 people who've made the move. So that's mm -hmm. about one mover every single day if you average it out. Uh, and more people are coming. And of course, my job, now that we're entering like the second generation, you know, 22 years into the project, we're thinking of it. So we're sort of a second generation is to continue moving forward with that. I mean, the be the beautiful thing is it's been around so long and now people are having kids, people are having families. Right, the yeah. community is growing both internally uh, through reproduction as well as externally uh, still through uh, through in-migration. Um, so I'm coming on to programs like yours and saying, have you guys thought about moving to New Hampshire? I was told this was going to be exclusive and you weren't going on any other podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> um, Follow-up question. Because uh, I'm curious about this as well is, are you seeing, you know, demographically, and I know the target, right? The people you want to move is like you're saying, younger people that have kids. Demographically, is there a, a, a wide mix of who's coming in or has it been younger people that are that are looking to move and get a place where they can able, you know, they're able to create a business, start a family, find a, a better community? It's a pretty broad mix, but we do have a lot of young families. And I think that's kind of one of the, I mean, the great things about, um, I mean, <laughs> the homeschool network and within the free state community free state communities is so robust because we have so many young families or people who come here to start their family i mean frankly that's one of the reasons i i decided that i'm stepping aside from maine politics and moving to new hampshire because i'm at a stage in my life where you know i i've put starting a family on pause for so long mm. focusing on trying to you know save the world well you were in uh, politics you had too many mistresses to <laughs> go through to really start a family it's just a lot of money keeping yeah, those people throwing out. themselves at me and they all <laughs> ended up being you know agents with the cia oddly enough I don't know. <laughs> uh, either that or chinese spies eric swalwell style i'm sure <laughs> you see an asian in maine and you're like you're a chinese spy we don't have you here. <laughs> actually, we do have a surprising. Uh, actually, Maine is actually closer to China uh, than a lot of uh, than most yeah. other states because if you go yeah, over true. the pole and a lot of so actually, <laughs> we actually we do have a problem right now with a lot lot of like uh, 
uh, Chinese uh, cannabis grow operations that are happening. Oh, so, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. yeah, that's huh. been a big story lately. So anyway, <laughs> that's a Good whole side what, what, What's the know. problem with that? They're yeah. growing <laughs> cannabis. What's the big deal? <laughs> well, yeah. It's a fair question. What what is the, what is the problem there? I, I, the 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 problem is to some degree we've done so much work trying to build up the legitimacy of our medical cannabis program and our adult use cannabis program, mm-hmm. and we've made it very easy. Like one of the most mark some of the most market driven programs in the country. It's very easy to participate and do uh, do legally. Uh, but when you have kind of uh, folks coming in from outside the country and kind of operating out of that system. It, it, um, uh, it, it makes our state a target for the federal government trying mm-hmm. to, uh, crack, crack down on, uh, continue to continuing to enforce their, their, um, federal cannabis prohibition. So that's a, that's a big, that's a big, that's a big challenge. Yeah. All right. Well, let's sit, let's, uh, Tell people where to go, you know, some of the, some of the benefits, what the, you know, what is the free state project going to help them do if they want to move? And then we'll do a couple memes to wrap up the show. Cause this is All meme right. wars. I don't want to leave the people hanging. I don't, you know, they're, <laughs> they're shaking and, and jittering cause they need their fix. All right. So first thing people should do if they haven't visited New Hampshire, they need to come and visit, right? We got two great events coming up in just 14 days. We are having the New Hampshire Liberty Forum. In Nashua, New Hampshire, keynote speakers include uh, Glenn Kane Jacobs, the only man who can That's body true. slam you as he quotes Mises <laughs> and Rothbard, mayor of Knox County, Tennessee, former WWE superstar Kane. Uh, we have Brian Kaplan, who's the uh, professor of economics at George Mason University. He's going to be talking with us. And also, um, we're, we're going to have four-term congresswoman and former presidential candidate and also potentially speculated to be a on the short list for vice president on the Republican ticket, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, she's going to be with us and many other speakers in between. So that's just in 14 days, uh, March 15th through Sunday, uh, March 17th, uh, folks can get tickets there at nhlibertyform.com. And then of course we were already talking about a little bit earlier, the porcupine freedom festival pork fest. It's, massive every single year this is gonna one's gonna be the best because of course i'm running the show i mean how could how could it oh, not yeah. be right so uh brian I'm, I'm glad to know you're joining us john needs to get his act together uh <laughs> as he said you give us the, give us a spot on that main yeah. stage man john will be there <laughs> but that's gonna be um june 17th through the 23rd great opportunities to come and visit and really to experience what it's actually like to be amongst a community of, of uh, folks who love liberty, right? Uh, if you're living in one of the authoritarian 49, you might not get to experience that very often. You're surrounded by status. But in New Hampshire, you can be surrounded by libertarians, people who share your values, who aren't going to hurt you, who aren't going to take your stuff, and aren't going to ask government agents to do it on their behalf. So um, that's that's the thing. You can check out more at fsp.org and come to our events. Yeah, awesome. and the pork I, I, fest, I, I, the uh, the taco truck. I mean, it's it's worth it just for that. That was oh, that was uh, that, that was delicious. amazing. God, they were so good. I took them on the road. Had diarrhea later. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, no, uh, yeah, yeah. Pork fest is awesome. New Hampshire's great. Absolutely love it. Um, all right, so let's get into a couple memes here. John, did you find any memes, or should I just do mine? No, I, I found one. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first here. Okay, because uh, this actually does have a tie-in that I want to ask Eric about. So. Share an old uh, Joe Biden meme here, and uh, it's a Babylon B, and it's got you know <laughs> Biden with his with his arms up, looking angry as as per usual, 
and it says Biden brags he could let migrants shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and not lose any votes. Of course, hearkening back to uh, what uh, did Trump, Trump actually say that? <laughs> I think he did actually say that. Yeah, in 2016, he did. That he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and not lose his base. But um, just a, a funny, uh, funny callback there. But Eric, I believe you met Joe Biden. Is that right? Do you have a, is, a little, is there a story there with that? Yeah, I did. He came to Auburn, uh, the city that I represent. Um, he was doing a uh, he was doing an event celebrating touting Bidenomics and how great it's been for the American people, which I don't think anyone is buying. Right? <laughs> uh, he keeps talking about how we got to build the economy from the bottom up and the middle out, and that's why we're going to suck all your dollars through taxes and inflation into Washington D.C. and redistribute it from the top down to our cronies. Somehow that makes sense. Anyway, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I um, for some reason they put me in like the VIP line to like meet him and get a photo with him. So it was like me, the Democrat Senate president, the Democrat Speaker of the House, a bunch of union thugs, and and Patrick Dempsey. Patrick Dempsey was there. It was nice <laughs> to meet him. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but but uh, but but uh, you know, I talked to Joe Biden. I'm wearing this uh, this flag pin. You see, this is the original main state flag, the star and pine tree. And he comments on it. He says, you know, oh, he says, oh, I really I like the the flag pin there. I tell him a little bit about the history of Maine's defense of our pine trees and the American Revolution. And he says to me, that's great. And now we got to defend those pine trees from climate change. <laughs> All right. Well, I was trying not to be rude. So I just kind of grinned and bared it. I said, welcome to Auburn, Mr. President. But I handed to his staff a personal note that I had written. Uh, you open it. He Presumably, he opened it up and he would have read, you know, welcome to Auburn, Mr. President. Glad to have you. You know, one thing I'd like to ask you to consider is uh, to grant a commutation for Ross Ulbricht, who's currently nice. serving a double life sentence for building a website. I never heard back from him on that one. No, hmm. you got to write for a good time call on that, uh, <laughs> usually to get Joe to respond. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Um, all right. So I want to share, you know what I'll share for my first, it's not really a meme per se, but you were saying, you know, who's, who's sharing the, uh, the good social content. Well, the libertarian party did in fact share one of yours, uh, from your Twitter at Senator Brakey conservatives do not conserve progressives promote regression. Republicans abandon the Republic Democrats destroy democracy. These labels mean nothing and no longer represent any great principles, only serving as mere tribal identifiers in gang warfare. I like that a lot. I like the, I mean, it's, it's pointing the obvious out, but I love the, I like positioning it as gang warfare, especially, Eric. So I don't know. Is there anything you want to add to this tweet? Because I thought it was great. And we, yeah, we did share it. Uh, the Libertarian Party did share it. And uh, we all got a good, <laughs> good chuckle and appreciation out of it. Well, you know, I appreciate it. I, I'm not sure what I can say. Why, why improve on perfection? Yeah, um, I mean, True. <laughs> True. <laughs> no, but, but even I gang warfare is so too. Because look, we even have the, the gang colors. You know, you got the Crips and the Bloods. The Crips are blue. The Bloods are red. <laughs> it's like yeah. Well, well right. Well, and and of course, I mean, this this is the thing, right? It, is that these words meant something at one point, right? Like Thomas Jefferson called himself a Republican, mm -hmm. uh, and and so many of kind of in the early you know parts of the uh, uh, the the early times in the country, people called themselves Republicans because they were contrasting that with being a monarchist, and it was and and it meant something, right? But at a certain point, a political party comes along and adopts that label, that word, 
and then bastardizes what it means completely until now you, if you call yourself a Republican, people don't associate it with like the Republic. People don't associate with being an anti-monarchist, right? They don't associate it with any real value. It just means that supposedly like you are going to pull the lever for the red team, no matter what. And the same with Democrats, the same with progressives, the same with conservatives, like these, these, these words meant something at one point, but they have been so, the, 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 the words have been corrupted by, mm-hmm. by, um, by tribalism. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, exactly. I was just going to add there. I think Democrats now, um, most mainstream Democrats now equate Republicans to, uh, being an anti-democracy and being insurrectionists, yeah. um, trying to destroy, <laughs> destroy democracy. And that's why we have to kick candidates off the ballot. We don't like because <laughs> democracy that's... means that people aren't allowed to vote for people. We don't want Win. The so only way we to need save the FBI to arrest journalists and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah that just happened. They just um, yeah, they just arrested a January sixth. I got this reporting on January sixth. Uh, the Blaze from yeah from the Blaze today. They yeah. walked him out in handcuffs. Crazy. Ridiculous Crazy. in handcuffs. A journalist? Kidding me? Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. Do you have another meme for us, John? No, I don't. That was it. So oh, okay. Don't worry. Well, I got. I have some <laughs> others. Well, we're talking about. Uh, you know, we're talking a lot about war earlier. I wanted to share this one, which is pretty funny. Uh, Punk Rock Libertarian shared this one, but I know they probably stole it from Ben DeJong, who works with us on the Libertarian uh, Party's Twitter feed and social programs. So you got the scene from The Shining, the famous scene with, uh, what's her name, Shelley Long? Is that Shelley Long? The girl in the show? No, yeah, whatever. The the really weird-looking chick from The Shining. (laughs) She's at the door. Of course, you've got the uh, epic scene with the axe flying through. The axe says World War III on it. Shelly's character, it's you trying to live your life. And then who comes through the door? Nikki Haley. Here's Haley trying to bring us into World War III, even though the Koch brothers did just kick her to the curb. Uh, which is pretty funny. So Dick Cheney and heels, Dick Cheney and heels. That's right. Pretty funny stuff. Have you ever gotten the, uh, the fine opportunity to make, to meet a uh, Nikki Haley by any chance, Eric? You know, I don't think so. Um, I don't think I would have anything nice to say. No, definitely not. And then I've got one more and then we'll wrap up this fantastic meme wars. And this one I thought was too funny in that. And, and you know, just, factual reporting here is that Barack Obama, of course, is famous for at the time, I believe, dropping more bombs with drones than any other president. I think Trump may have eclipsed that, but you had a, uh, a tweet from this cut, this account at very important says classic case of being able to dish it out, but not take it. And Sam Sweeney at ABC had reported that you cannot fly your drones near Barack Obama's 60th birthday party tonight on Martha's Vineyard. The FAA has closed the airspace. And that is, <laughs> is pretty funny. I mean, I guess if you're Obama, you know the danger of those drones. You can't yeah. have them around. <laughs> just so, just mitigating the uh, potential attack, I guess. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Now, if you're you know, an if LGBTQ you drone, drone you die by the drone. Yeah. <laughs> so there you have it. There's our memes for today. Uh, Eric, do you have anything else you want to wrap up with? Anything uh, more to share with the audience? A quip, a joke, quick nipple flash, whatever you want. 
Well, I'm going to keep my nipples in place. Uh, uh, so. Nobody ever goes for the <laughs> I know you were looking forward to it, Brian. And, uh, <laughs> I'll save it for Pork Fest. <laughs> well, hey, you know, anything goes at Pork Fest, right? <laughs> uh, no, uh, I, it's, it's fun talking with you guys. Thanks for having me on. Brian, thank you for uh, your work at uh, the Libertarian National Libertarian Party, particularly when True. you guys are sharing my stuff. You know, that's always uh, appreciated, and I uh, thank you. Um, and again, I mean, folks, if they want to follow me on Twitter for some reason, well, X, you know, for, for some reason, <laughs> uh, you can follow me at Senator Brakey. You can follow the Free State Project as well. And uh, I'll go to FSP.org and learn about how to make your plans to move to New Hampshire, be with a community of, of, of liberty lovers, and let's make a liberty homeland. Let's achieve liberty in our lifetimes. Because I'm sorry, Brian, it's not going to happen in California. I don't even know what you're doing over there. Uh, I'm, I'm trapped now, man. I'm not getting out of here anytime soon. <laughs> I, have to, I'm, I have to bring it down from the inside, starting with Gavin Newsom. It's the only All way. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys. From the two of us, uh, Lions of Liberty, and of course, from Senator Eric Brakey, we wish you a happy memeing, a wonderful weekend, and uh, say smooches and hugs in liberty. Later. See ya. <laughs>